Greetings, patriots, friends. Sweet brethren of the Lord, welcome to Voice in the Wilderness. I'm Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries, and I welcome you today with exceedingly great joy. Well, we recently celebrated Independence Day, one of the greatest days on the American calendar, as far as I'm concerned. So today, I want to talk about that grand old flag. I told you last week that the whole month of July, I'm going to be talking about freedom. I'm going to be talking about liberty. I'm going to be talking about things American. So today, I want to talk about that grand old flag. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that in your wisdom, that you motivated those Puritans, those pilgrims, those people who were looking for religious freedom. And Lord, you led them to the shores of what we now call the United States of America. And I thank you, Father, for the Mayflower Compact, where they made a decision. They made a covenant to bring the gospel to this land. I thank you for the flag. And I know that in the day that we live, in the culture that we are in currently, there are people who hate the flag, dishonor the flag, disrespect the flag. But I pray that a day is coming soon when that will all change. And we will go back to where we were, to a nation that honored and revered our flag. Thank you, Father, for the liberty, for the freedom that you have given us in this great nation we call United States of America. Thank you, Lord, for those who sacrifice their life and their liberty and their fortunes that we might have this great nation. So I bless all those who are listening today, and I ask, Lord, that you would stir them, stir that spirit of patriotism in them once again, in Jesus' name, amen. My fellow Americans, can we please get our history lessons correct? I'm losing patience with African Americans and whites as well who want to revise history as if the rest of us are ignorant fools. Gwen Berry, you may have caught this in the news recently, an African-American athlete, female athlete, recently turned her back when the national anthem was played. This is blatantly un-American, and she should be removed as a participating athlete. She said in an interview that the national anthem has a, quote, paragraph that speaks to slavery, end quote. This, my friends, is a perfect example of revisionist ignorance. As I said, I'm losing patience. I'm losing patience with American people who want to revise our history. 
you and I had a discussion about a year ago about this very thing about the Star Spangled Banner. It was when a black professor from Maryland from a Maryland college challenged Tucker Carlson on Fox News with the same nonsense. Now, wouldn't you think, just for a moment, wouldn't you think that a college professor would have the intellectual curiosity to seek the historical historical facts about that star-spangled banner? But no, no, they just blatantly accept this false rhetoric about our anthem. So today, I'm going to pr- provide you with the clear facts once and for all about our national anthem. I'm going to make it very simple. So I want you to just sit back and listen carefully. And by the way, this program repeats at 11 p.m. tonight. And you can go and listen to this podcast on my website, www.pureheart.today, and listen to it again. But I'm going to make it simple. So here is the setting. The War of 1812 between the British and America was mostly a naval war conducted near the Great Lakes and Canada. Great Britain was allied with Spain against France and its military power under Napoleon. Spain supported Britain in the Americas and France was fighting against both of them. Now, many Native Americans fought on both sides. Some fought with the British Some fought with the Americans. The reason for this war, and there are many, have have been long debated among historians. Now, they've generally concluded that the war was declared largely over national honor, neutral maritime rights, and the British seizure of neutral ships and their cargoes on the high seas. This theme was the basis of James Madison's war message to Congress on June 1st, 1812. Now, most historians agree that the United States went to war because of six years of economic sanctions that had failed to bring Britain to the negotiating table and threatening the Royal Navy's Canadian supply base was their last hope. It was kind of, you know, we've got to do this or else. A real concern of American patriots was to defend the USS, the United States' neutral rights from the overbearing tyranny of the British Army. Here we go again. We fought the first war over tyranny and we're back at the same kind of issue. Now, the British Navy at that time was formidable, 
At the start of the war in 1812, the United States Navy found itself completely outmatched by the many times larger Royal Navy on the open ocean, with the exception of a half dozen heavy frigates like the USS Constitution. With the invasion of Canada, the U.S. opened an entirely new naval theater where they stood on more equal rigging, and that was the Great Lakes. To take revenge on the U.S., the White House was burned down and the Capitol was burned and several other federal buildings were damaged as well. The British um, did this in part due to American forces burning and looting the capital of Upper Canada the previous year. So this was just a way to get back at us. The British were attempting an assault on Fort McHenry at the Battle of Baltimore. And Francis Scott Key had been sent to negotiate a prisoner release who happened to be his friend, Dr. William Beans. At that time, Francis Scott Key was a 35-year-old lawyer and an amateur poet living in Maryland. And I just want to give you a little historical bit of information about Francis Scott Key. He was born August 1st, 1779. He died January 11th, 1843. He was an American lawyer. He was an author and an amateur poet from Frederick, Maryland, and later Washington, D.C. He was born to Anne Phoebe Penn Dagworthy and Captain John Ross Key at the family plantation Terra Rubra in what is now Carroll County, Maryland. Key attended St. John's College in Annapolis, Maryland, graduating in 1796. He was a devout Episcopalian who considered becoming a priest, ultimately choosing instead to study and practice law under his uncle, Philip Barton Key, a prominent lawyer who was loyal to the British crown during the War of Independence. He married Mary Taylor Lloyd on January 1st, 1802. Francis Scott Key became a leading real estate and trial attorney in Frederick, Maryland and Washington, D.C. He assisted his uncle, in the sensational conspiracy trial of Aaron Burr and the expulsion of Senator John Smith of Ohio. In 1808, he assisted President Thomas Jefferson's Attorney General in the case United States versus Peters. Key also assisted in the prosecution of Tobias Watkins, U.S. Treasury Auditor under former President John Quincy Adams for allegedly misappropriating public funds. President Andrew Jackson nominated Key to be United States Attorney for the District of Columbia, a position he held from 1833 to 1841. In 1835, 
he prosecuted Richard Lawrence for his unsuccessful attempt to assassinate President Jackson at the Capitol. So, let me take us back to September 14th, or actually September 13th, 1812. So, I was telling you that Francis Scott Key's friend, Dr. Beans, was a prisoner on the British ship HMS Tanat. And so Francis Scott Key was um, asked to accompany U.S. government agent John S. Skinner to help secure the release of Dr. Beans. Now, those negotiations were successful. Um, Dr. Beans was aboard the ship, uh, tending to sailors who had been injured, had wounds, etc., etc. Now, during the negotiations with British Vice Admiral Alexander Cochrane, Francis Scott Key overheard the war plans. Actually, he and Dr. Beans overheard the war plans. Consequently, the British held Key and Dr. Beans captive until after the assault on Fort McHenry, forcing them to stay on the HMS Surprise until the attack had been completed. Through the night, Key watched the British bombard Fort McHenry, and as the sun rose, he saw the American flag still flying over the fort. This was after a relentless pounding of the fort for 25 hours. The British warships sent with a downpour of shells and rockets. So you can imagine this picture. There he is, kind of a prisoner on this British warship, and they are pounding the heck out of Fort McHenry. And so um, 25 hours later, um, and they were, they were approximately eight miles away from the fort. Key later wrote that, quote, it seemed as though Mother Earth had opened and was vomiting shot and shell in a sheet of fire and brimstone. But when darkness arrived, Key saw only red erupting in the night sky. Given the scale of the attack, he was certain that the British would win. The hours passed slowly, but in the clearing smoke of the dawn's early light on September 14th, he saw the American flag, not the British Union Jack, flying over the fort, announcing an American victory. There was Old Glory. Oh, she was flying high at sunrise. Fifteen stars and fifteen stripes. Francis Scott Key, he had an envelope in his pocket. He was so moved by what he had. You know, he was like an eyewitness to the whole thing. All night long, he was awake watching 
the red rockets glare in the night sky. So he pulled out this envelope he had in his pocket, and being the um, poet that he was, he wrote the poem, and he titled it Defense of Fort McHenry. It was later called the Star-Spangled Banner, and it was set to the British tune to Anacreon in Heaven. I don't still understand what that Anacreon is. That's kind of an odd, odd word, but whatever. It was a British tune. It is the tune that we sing today when we sing the Star-Spangled Banner. The song was so immensely popular uh, in this new republic. It began to be played regularly at Independence Day celebration. Celebrations. In 1899, the U.S. Navy began playing it, and President Woodrow Wilson in 1916 ordered it regularly played by the military. In 1918, during the first World Series, wow, the anthem became a fixture of baseball. In 1930, the Veterans of Foreign Wars, the VFW, started a petition to recognize it as our national anthem. It became just that on March the 4th, 1931. So obviously it didn't take long for it to pass. In 1956, Congress embraced the fourth verse of Key's poem and adopted In God We Trust as our national motto. Only recently have revisionists began to claim that the star-spangled banner is racist. The third verse includes the lines, quote, No refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. And the star-spangled banner in triumph doth wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave. Key's poem about the attack on Baltimore and the battle at Fort McHenry was just that. He was not alluding to or mentioning African slaves in the United States. Actually, at the time, the American Navy and military prided itself on being a volunteer service. Key stood on the deck of the HMS Surprise, a captive of the British, and watched the volunteer Americans fight off, yes, the fiercest empire on the planet. The British Navy, at the enlisted level, consisted of hired mercenaries and sailors impressed against their will. I'm going to say that again. Mercenaries and sailors impressed against their will and forced to fight in the service of the British. Those impressed sailors are the slaves Key was referencing in his poem. Modern progressive historians have twisted the truth. Are we surprised? 
I mean, are we surprised? It is common now to hear claims that Francis Scott Key referenced slaves and that the reference is about chattel slavery. It is foolish, anti-American revisionism. I want to repeat that. I want to be very clear. It is foolish, anti-American, anti-American, anti-American revisionism. It is devoid of both the historic context and the actual truth. Key's poem stands the test of time and concludes beautifully with a fourth verse. Oh, thus be it ever, when free men shall stand. Now, we sing one verse of the Star Spangled Banner. There are four verses to this song. And this is the fourth verse. Listen how beautiful this is. And actually, it's a shame that we don't sing this. Oh, thus be it ever, when free men shall stand between their loved homes and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must, when our cause it is just, and this be our motto, and God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. It gives me chills. It is so beautiful. It is so inspiring. It is so awesome. It embodies what we are as a nation. So you wonder why I am so upset and so frustrated and I'm really, really losing patience with these people trying to to revise our history. Stop it. Stop it now. I have just shared the truth with you. The facts. Historical facts. You don't have to believe me. You can go look it up yourself. You can go look up the history of the Star Spangled Banner. You can look it up. You can figure it out for yourself. Have at it. Because this is the truth. And this beautiful song with the fourth verse that I think, I think when we sing the Star Spangled Banner, I love, you know, the verse that we sing. But I, I really like this fourth verse. And I think that we should start singing it. Hmm, geez, maybe I'll, maybe I'll just start something about you know, memorizing this fourth verse and getting people to sing it somehow. I don't know. But you see, that grand old flag is something to be honored, revered. You know, I can't imagine what Francis Scott Key felt 
That morning, when the smoke cleared and the sun rose, and he could see the American flag still flying on Fort McHenry after 25 hours of pounding of shells and rockets by the British, whose navy was far superior to ours. But we won. It was our victory. And out of that came the most beautiful song about our flag, about who we are as the people of America. So I want you, I want you to be proud when you sing the national anthem. Your hand on your heart, your hat off if you're a male. Stand strong and proudly to sing that national anthem. I love the grand old flag. I always will. And so I have something very special. I have a song by Johnny Cash called That Ragged Old Flag. I think you're going to actually fall in love with it. And by the way, you don't want to miss next week because I have all the backstory about that flag flying at Fort McHenry. So enjoy the song. Of all the places we've ever been overseas, it don't matter where, you know, when we come back to this country, we love it a whole lot more than when we left and went somewhere else. I thank God for all the, I thank God for all the freedoms we've got in this country. I cherish them and cherish them. Uh, even the rights to burn the flag, you know. I'm proud of those rights. But I'll tell you what, we've also got, let me tell you something, shh. We've also got a right to bear arms, and if you burn my flag, I'll shoot you. American. After such a trip overseas in 1975, I wrote this. I walked through a county courthouse square, and on a park bench, an old man was sitting there. I said, your old courthouse is kind of run down. He said, no, it'll do for our little town. I said, your old flagpole's kind of leaned a little bit, and that's a ragged old flag you got hanging on it. He said, have a seat, and I said, down. Is this the first time you've come to our little town? I said, I think it is. He said, I don't like to brag, but we're kind of proud of that ragged old flag. You see, we got a little hole in that flag there when Washington took it across the Delaware. And it got powder burned the night Francis got keys, set up watching it right in say can you see got a little rip in new orleans with Packenham and jackson tugging at it seems it almost fell at the alamo beside the texas flag but she waved on though it got cut with a sword at chancellorsville got cut again at shiloh hill there was robert e lee Beauregard, and bragg and the south wind blew hard on that ragged old flag on flanders field in world war one she took a bad hit from a Bertha gun. She turned blood red in World War II. 
She hung limp and low by the time that one was through. She was in Korea, Vietnam. She went where she was sent by her Uncle Sam. The Native American Indians, the blacks, yellow, the white, all shed red blood for the stars and stripes. And in her own good land here, she's been abused. She's been burned, dishonored, denied, refused. And the very government for which she stands is scandalized throughout the land. And she's getting threadbare and she's wearing kind of thin. But she's in good shape for the shape she's in. Cause she's been through the fire before and she can take a whole lot more. So we raise her up every morning and we bring her down slowly every night. We don't let her touch the ground and we fold her upright. On second thought, I guess I do like to brag. Cause I'm mighty proud of that ragged old flag. Well, I hope you love that song as much as I do. And I hope you love that grand old flag as much as I do. You honor, you respect it, you stand proud to sing that national anthem. Well, this is Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries. You can go to www.pureheart.today. As I said earlier, you can go listen to this again. And this show airs twice on Mondays at 8 p.m. and 11 p.m. So you can listen to this again. Catch the history. I kind of purposely went slow so you could, you know, catch it all. As I said, I wanted to make it very clear. Um, again, I love having you pray for this ministry. Uh, it blesses me very, very much, and I thank you for your prayers, and you can uh, help support this ministry. I please, I uh, wish you would, write me at Pure Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 85. Valley Grove, West Virginia, 26060. Well, I look forward to being with you again next week. Shalom, shalom, peace be unto you.